You know, um, and by the way, I shook everybody's hand but Robin, so I'm going to shake Robin's hand now. Good to see you. Did I shake your hand, young lady? Okay, I'll shake your hand. I try to, you know, if you ever notice on a Sunday morning, I'm shaking hands, shaking hands before it's time to shake hands because that way, if there's two or three people I didn't shake hands with, nobody can say I didn't shake their hand or say hi to them. So that's just a practice I've made. Maybe as we get bigger, who knows, I'll, you may just have to sing two or three songs while I'm shaking hands. But, but I want people to know that they're, they're noticed, they're appreciated, and probably because I like that too. I mean, everybody likes to be liked, right? And I had a chairman of deacons. Matter of fact, uh, Betty would have known him. His name was <clears throat> Marvin Riddle. He was my chairman of deacons that first year because there was only three deacons at that church. And, and uh, Brother Marvin told me one time in a meeting, he says, hey, he said, even a dog needs to be stroked the right way. And at first I thought, calling somebody a dog? But what he meant was, you know, you ever try to pet a dog from tail to head? It just don't feel right. But head to tail, it works. So everybody needs to be stroked the right way. And I think sometimes... It may be as simple as a hug. It may be as simple as a shake, handshake, or it may be as simple as saying something to them that you noticed about them that they just normally do. Um, <clears throat> met with Jim and Gail today for a couple of hours, and, and I just felt like I needed to say something to them, and I did because they needed to know what their pastor thought. That was a good thought, by the way. They needed to know what their pastor thought, and I think it made them feel important, but also that I care and that I was paying attention. So, so if I ever say anything to you like, hey, I really appreciate you, and it, it may seem like I do that all the time, but I really do, because I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it. So, so uh, tonight, uh, we will be jumping into the book of Ephesians and the book of Matthew. Those will be the two books we're jumping into. <clears throat> of course, we're, we're continuing this idea of questions and answers. It's a you know, we're catechizing ourselves, questions and answers, and then we have scripture proofs to prove the answer. Well, this is question and answer number six. Uh, and what I'm doing to the Benjamin Keats Catechism is I'm trying to, number one, wrap my brain around some of that old English from the 1600s that he's writing and try to rewrite it, I guess, in my own words. And then sometimes I might be taking his question number three and question number four and combining it for maybe question number five or something. So what I did today in my Benjamin Keats Catechism, and by the way, I, I keep that inside my 1689 um, London Confession. It's got duct tape on it because I wore it out, and I keep it in there. But I combined a couple of questions, and, and it's one of those things, uh, the, the question's going to be something, deal with something about God that we're only going to scratch the surface. I'm only going to give you some basics because we could probably spend a whole month just on this idea. And so we're going to talk about the decrees of God, the decrees of God. When God decrees something, what that means is when he decrees something, because what? He's the sovereign king, the Lord of lords, king of kings, right? And when a king decrees something, it happens, right? And like I've told you before, um, you ever remember back in the 80s when I got saved in 83, I noticed a lot more things like bumper stickers on cars or, you know, front tags on cars because in Oklahoma, you know, you only need a, a car tag on the back. Otherwise, you can put something up front like, I know the Longhorns, woo, the Longhorns. And so I noticed when I was a first new Christian, I'd see this little bumper sticker on the front of someone's car or a license, and it would say, God is my co-pilot. Even as a brand new Christian, I was like, God's my co-pilot? Like, I'm driving, I'm flying, I'm like, 
God's my pilot, you know. And then pretty soon after Karen and I got married, we got into uh, cassette tapes of uh, Southern gospel groups, and one of the groups was the Kingsmen. And I think that one, one of their songs was Pilot Me, you know, he's the pilot. And so we listened, to, matter of fact, Brother Bruce, uh, we listened to a lot of Kingsmen and different things, cathedrals and things like that. We liked those kind of songs. And, and so I, as a brand new Christian, um, I wanted to learn. I wanted to know some of the things that my pastor knew, whether it was Brother Bob or other pastors down the road. And, and I thought a lot of their knowledge came from them going to Bible school or being under a professor, and it did. But I began to learn that they're also learning by just reading the Bible themselves, for themselves, uh, taking things like, um, I'm going to kind of share with you what's on my bag. This, my, this bag I always carry all the time. You're like, what's he carrying that bag besides the Bible? Well, I've got a little book on good grief that I read every once in a while. got a little book on visit the sick. What a concept. I've got the five points of Calvinism. Yeah, it just gives the history of it, why it came about. Uh, Jet Through Revelation, John MacArthur, how we got our Bible, Christian history timeline, uh, what the Bible says about money. And this is more of a uh, personality temperament book, but positive personality profiles. These are some of the things that, that I read periodically, at least once a year. This other side, I got the other side. Yeah, I got a Heidelberg Catechism right here. Yeah, I got a book by John MacArthur about uh, well, not by John, well, it's by John MacArthur, being a dad who leads. Uh, uh, when I was a hospice chaplain, I met people of all kinds of flavors, so I needed to understand a little history about different denominations, uh, Christianity and cults and religions, Islam and Christianity. I got a book on grief, another book on grief, another thing on grief, Bible stories, 365 Bible stories. You know what I use that for? It cost me $4.99 when I was at my last church. They couldn't afford Bible school curriculum for the one class that we had, my class. So I said, well, hey, we'll just use this. It'll last for seven years. We'll have a text, and that way you'll know where we're at next week. And then I just used the text of that Bible story thing, and that's what we studied. We went, through, we went from Genesis all the way to we finished up Joshua in that year and eight months I was there. I mean, it just I use tools like this all the time. I have other things in there, too. I, oh, this is a real good one, my little black book. What's in there? Things about the CIA. No. Actually, what the, it's like a wedding book, you know, funeral book. And you would find out that your pastor's only done 32 weddings since 1986 when I got licensed. And then I keep a copy of the Baptist Faith and Message in there. But the reason I'm showing you all these little things is these are the kind of things, besides my Bible, that your pastor reads on a regular basis. Once a year, once every three years. That's why my library's only that wide at the house. Two books deep. It's not a lot, but I read it often. About every three years, I've probably gone through everything I have. And the reason why is because I wanted to know what my pastors knew about the main doctrines of the Bible. Like if we were just to grab the 18 chapters of the Baptist Faith and Message, it's, it's not infallible, but it's 18 chapters of what we believe about God, Scripture, Jesus, man, the family, eschatology, things like that, those 18 chapters that's in there. And, and it gives a statement of what we believe on that thing, that essential thing or that fundamental thing. And then it just gives scriptures, a plethora of scriptures to say, go look it up. And so what I learned 
over my first 10 years of ministry, which is what pretty much was in a nursing home unless I was street preaching somewhere until I get handcuffed or something like that. And uh, I, I, for those 10 years, I was trying to figure out who I was, what I believed. And it was little books like that or little booklets that was just good, healthy stuff that I would read over and over to understand the main things. And this is one of those main things that if you're going to get through life um, as anxiety-free, as stress-free as you can, because we're all going to go through fight, flight, or flight all the time, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, that's just normal. You do that. I mean, if I shocked her, she'd either be frightened or want to fight me or freeze. I mean, that's just normal. But if you get in a cycle of fight, flight, or freeze and can't get out of it, then you get stuck with stinking thinking, we would say, you know, or you're always anxiety. So, so I, I try to learn the main thing so that when things happen, I, I take that thought, as Paul says in Corinthians, I take that thought, I take it captive and subject it to who Jesus Christ is, who God is, and who I am in him. So I, so I capture that thought, I capture that anxiety, I capture that trouble, and I challenge it based off who God is, what I know about God, what I know who I am in God, so I can change that pattern of fight, flight, or freeze, because you don't want to stay there. God wired us to have those moments, because there might be a time that something happens, and you stand up and fight. That's a good thing, isn't it? Or something happens, and you flight, you know, heels and elbows, or you freeze. That's normal, but we don't want to get caught in a cycle. So this is one of those those doctors, the decrees of God or the sovereignty of God, which means he does what he wants, when he wants, with whomever he wants, for whatever reason he wants. Now, on the surface, that statement would be like, eh, that would be scary if God could do all those things and he wasn't what? A perfect God, a God worthy of being trusted, a God that maybe is prejudiced towards certain, but he's not, he's perfect, isn't he? So because he is perfect, he's not prejudiced, he doesn't get caught off guard, then I thank God he has those powers to do what he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants, however he wants, because he is perfect, he deserves those powers, okay? If you gave me those powers, you might like me for about three days, if you're lucky, right? Then eventually I'm either going to make a mistake or I'm going to do something stupid because I'm not perfect. I can't, I can't handle that kind of power, neither could you. Because we're, we're, te- we're corrupted by sin, we're limited in knowledge. So when we talk about the decrees of God, uh, it's one of those doctrines, kind of like election or being chosen by God, that is in the Bible, it's true, but sometimes because we're humans and we want to be in control, it's hard to swallow or it's hard to fathom. Like, for instance the doctrine of knowing that God is omnipresent, right? He always has been, he is, and he always will be. We know the Bible teaches that, but wrap your little cottage cheese brain around that. He always has been, he is, he always will be. I mean, we know that's true, but how can we really explain it to somebody other than a little white print on white paper? I'm just telling you what it says. Because there's no illustration for that, is there? Not really. I mean, you know, we all have a beginning and an end, so we, 
We don't get that. It's hard to swallow. doesn't mean it's hard to believe. It doesn't mean that we won't still have questions, but we know it's true. Well, when it comes to the, to the decrees of God or God's sovereignty to decree something, and therefore because he decrees something, he's going to make sure it comes to pass. We've got to be careful with that doctrine because, number one, that doesn't mean we're just robots, numb move around numb robots, we did do whatever God says to do. No, he allows us to make choices good, bad, indifferent, ignorant, uh, prejudiced decisions. He allows us to do those things. So there's also in his sovereignty of what he's decreed, you know, his perfect will, he's also, he's also permitted certain things to happen, right? I mean, even he had to permit his son to be betrayed by one of his followers, so that he could be brought before the Roman emperor to be crucified. That was God's will. That was God's perfect will. We as Americans don't think that way. We think that if something like that, well, something like that happens, we need to call our congressman. We need to call our senator. And that's all fine and dandy that has its place. But sometimes things happen by the decree of God. And it may look bad on our end, like what we're seeing, but he has a greater purpose. He has a purpose that's, that's a lot bigger than what's just on the edge of our nose that we see. And so when I, I even think about my salvation, I mean, I got to a place in my functional drunkenness that I also got suicidal. I got very self-pity, and therefore I was just going to drink myself into a coma or whatever. I remember writing a note to my mother that I didn't give to her until after I got saved, and it just basically said uh, something about life has got me like a tiger by the tail, and it's slinging me around. It was all this self-pity stuff. And it's not that I wasn't deserving of being, feeling sorry for myself, but I got into some stinking thinking, a routine, and I was in that flight mode. I was ready to leave this world at age 21. Well, what I didn't know is that September of 1983, I got a phone call from a former girlfriend who happened to be in town and said, hey, I'm over at so-and-so's house over in North Tulsa. You want to come visit me? I was like, a ah, little hope, you know. So I go there, and we just sat on the porch. It was a fall day. It was cold. And we just talked about, she talked to me about the Lord. And I said, well, I'm, I got baptized when I was seven and a half. I'm, I'm okay. I know God and everything. He said, let me pray for you. And she prayed for me that September of 1983. Then October of 1983, I always went to the Tasty Freeze after work because I didn't cook. I was single. I was living at home, so I had money. So I'd always get me a Tasty Burger, some fries, and a shake, and uh, I don't know, strawberry sundae or whatever. And that October, my friend that's about five foot tall is working behind the counter with his mom and dad. And he said, Steve, you go to church anywhere? Uh, no, not right now. I haven't since high school. He said, would you mind if I picked up and go to church? I said, well, I got soccer right now on Sunday afternoons. I can't go. He said, okay, well, let me know when season's over. Okay. Well, I show up that, which would have been Saturday the 19th of November. I'm eating. He said, how's soccer going? I said, oh, it ended last Sunday. He goes, good, I'll pick you up tomorrow morning. Yeah. God was providentially working because as I came into that church that morning, I saw some people I either knew from high school that were younger than me, that thought I was still funny, that were nice to me. I was telling clean jokes and everything. But they just really treated me nice. 
So when I went and had a bologna sandwich that afternoon after watching the Dallas Cowboys probably lose again, because my friend was a Dallas Cowboy fan, but we watched them. He said, hey, man, i got to go to church training. What's that? Well, it's like Sunday school in the evening. Can I go? What he didn't know is what I was been thinking about myself. He didn't know that my fiance said she wants to date other guys. He didn't know that my mom was in the hospital dying of Crohn's disease. He didn't know all that. But he said, sure, I'll pick you up. And so I was wanting to give up on life because all those things wouldn't go my way, right? Mama was going to be gone. Girlfriend wasn't working out. You know, whatever. Feeling sorry for myself. And I come back that night. We went to an evening class where a lady was teaching. And it was just that Sunday before Thanksgiving. And she said, have you ever thought about writing someone a thank you letter around Thanksgiving for something they did? I thought, well, that's kind of a cool idea. Wasn't the gospel, was it? But it was a cool idea. So when I got saved that night, from that Sunday night on for 29 years, I called Bruce McRae. And he knew exactly where I was going to send that phone. Hey, Steve. Hey, Bruce. Thanks for taking me to church that night because I got saved that night. Well, in the sovereignty of God, in God's decrees, he allowed me in, in my choices to go off on that deep end, get in that place. But yet in his sovereignty, in his decree, he found me on the north side of Central Baptist Church standing in the pew, guilty of sin, but I knew exactly what to do because some man stood up there by the providence of God and said, you need Jesus. You need to come to Jesus. And so when we think of the decrees of God, we usually think, well, he's going to do something I may not like. Well, he may, but trust me, he's going to do some things like he did with me that we're really going to like. Because had not God decreed that moment, that situation, and that atmosphere through his providence and his decree, I wouldn't have been standing on the north side of Central Baptist Church hearing the gospel, being loved on that morning. And so... When we think of the decrees of God, it's one of those main things that the Bible teaches, illustrates from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that God has decreed certain things to happen. He may allow and permit these things. He's providentially working over here, but it's going to happen. And, and for me, when he decreed before the foundation of the world that Steve Holstein would be saved, I don't understand all that. I'm grateful for that, and that's all I can be in that. So what I want to ask is the first question, and then we're going to give an answer. <clears throat> what are the decrees of God? And how does God execute these decrees? And for what purpose does God execute them? What are the decrees of God? And how does God execute them? And for what purpose does God execute them? Because if I, all we do is tell people, well, God does what he wants when he wants because he decreed it. That's the truth. But they're going to have some questions. Well, why would he do that? How does he do that? I mean, I remember teaching my kids these things, and they would ask questions like, well, then why does he do that? How does he do that, Daddy? Well, I can't give specific examples, but I can give, give general. So the answer to that question, and we'll look at the scripture proofs here in a moment in Ephesians chapter 1 and Matthew 6, the decrees of God are executed in his works of his creation and in his providence according to his eternal purpose by his eternal counsel and for his eternal glory. And the reason I keep putting the word eternal there, eternal, eternal, is because God thinks 
on an eternal, if you want to call it, timeline. We can only think so far ahead, right? I mean, even if we're starting to plan retirement, we can only think so far ahead. And even then, things happen. You get hiccups there, and then things change there. I had one of my friends the other day that said, when do you turn 62, Steve? That's why I turned 62 in March. Oh, you're going to retire? I said, why would I want to retire? I said, I have nothing to retire on, <laughs> for one thing. I said, why would I want to retire? I'm still healthy. I said, I'll be preaching until either I mentally or physically can't do those kind of things. I said, well, I'm pastoring or not. I don't know what God's going to do. I said, I don't plan on retiring. I said, I'm just going to continue. But, you know, God has eternal purposes. God has eternal wisdom. He obviously deserves eternal glory. So the reason uh, the, the decrees of God are, are when God is executing out his will, his decreed will, based off his wisdom, his counsel. Uh, I told someone one time, God didn't say all in favor say aye, all opposed like sign. God just said it's going to be this way whether I like it or vote for it or not because God is sovereign, right? I mean, we have a democracy here. That's what we do on Wednesday nights. All in favor say aye, all opposed like sign, and the majority wins, right? Well, that's all fine and dandy for us, right? But when it comes to God, if he, if he decrees something, then it is. Now, we also believe as our church that when the majority votes, we believe that's the will of God, right? So we kind of take that practice. But God decrees things. Well, go to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. I've got my little bookmark here, my, my handy-dandy Bible here. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12. And we're only going to talk about two things. The first thing we're going to talk about is our eternal redemption is an act of God's decree. Our eternal redemption is an act of God's decree. In other words, we would not have redemption and salvation had not God decreed you or me that you're going to be saved. Unless he decreed that, it ain't going to happen. You say, well then, Steve, why do we tell people about Jesus? Because we don't know who he's decreed. And that only guarantees that our evangelism has, for lack of words, some form of success because as we're planting seeds, as we're praying for people, as we're reaching out to them, then they get saved. We go, wow, look what God did. Because we don't know. That's why I say go on the highways, go on the byways, shake the hedges. We don't know who they are. We call them. We, we, we give an external call, and God gives that inter internal call and draws them to Jesus. But you know what? Faith comes by hearing what? And hearing by the word of God. And, of course, blessed are the feet that go to preach the gospel. So, so when we talk about our eternal redemption is an act of God's decree, he uses many elements. He doesn't just say, okay, Steve's going to be saved on November 20th, 1983, and sit back and just, yeah, just wait for him to get saved. No, he's working over here in Bruce's heart. He's working over here. What I didn't know is for three months, my friend had eight little old senior adult ladies praying for a guy named Steve Holstein. They would get saved, and they were praying. And what they didn't know was in those last three months, I was really going downhill. And I don't believe their prayers kept me from going downhill and popping the cork. I think their prayers led me to that place. And when I was down on the north side of the Central Baptist, I had no place to look but look up. I believe they were praying that God would put me in a place wherever he wanted to take me, wherever he had to take me to bring me where I needed to go. 
And lots of times that's how I pray for my children. God, I pray that you take them wherever that you need to take them so that they will be where you want them to be. Now, sometimes I didn't like the results of that prayer up front of where he took them. But where he brought them was an awesome thing. It was an awesome thing. So we either trust a sovereign God or we don't. I mean, sometimes that sounds like a, an, a, an all-abandoned prayer, but you think about it. If you really believe God is a holy God, then why couldn't we say, Lord, whatever you have to do, wherever you have to take them to bring them where they need to be, not that we're giving him permission, but you just do it, God. Because I'm going to do my part, but only you can do it. I had a preacher say, you've got to preach in such a way that it's all left up, it's all meant to be up to you, knowing that it's not. Well, I don't know if I really like that philosophy. I'm just going to preach the word and let God do his beautiful work. In, Act, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, listen to what I have to say about our eternal redemption is an act of God's decree. Verse 7 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 1. In him, he's talking about Jesus, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of God's, of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Now listen, my friend had a motivation to take me to church. He wanted me to hear the gospel. He wanted Steve to get saved. He was praying that Steve would get saved. But I didn't get saved because Bruce took me to that pew, that he took me to church. That was part of the equation, right? And I didn't get saved because the preacher knew what to say, not knowing what I was thinking. That was part of God's problem. But I got saved because... God in his purpose, God in his pleasure revealed to me through those things, my friend, the preacher, he used those things to reveal to me that I needed Jesus back there in that pew. So when we say that God, our eternal redemption is an act of God's decree, God in his, in his decreed pleasure made the gospel known to all believers for his glory. In other words, when I got saved, those were things that were important. Brother Bob was in place. The little old lady's praying was in place. My friend taking me to church two blocks from the church was in place. All those were part of the plan. But ultimately, that's not what, for like words, pushed me over the edge, did it? God used those things, but it was in his pleasure that he revealed to me what they were saying was true. What he was saying was true. What I'd always heard was true. So in God's decree, he allowed these other things to be happening as part of the equation. But his decree, he had to reveal to me, make known to me by his pleasure, out of his mercy, that I needed to be saved and how to be saved and who to go to. So God in his decreed pleasure made the gospel known to all believers for his glory. That's what we find out in verse 7 through 9. Look at verse 10 to 12 concerning this redemptive decree. That's a, that's redemptive, uh, eternal redemption is an act of God's decree. Look at verse 10 through 12 with me. 
that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in, in one all things in Christ, because he's talking about that millennial reign during that time of a thousand-year reign, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined or decreed according to what? The purpose of him who works all things according to what? The counsel of his will. It was his will, what he decrees, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So what do we learn about our redemption? If, if our eternal redemption is an act of God's decree, it happens because God in his decree, it pleasures him to make known the gospel, to open our eyes, and God in his decreed purpose made the gospel effective to all believers for his glory. So he not only made known the gospel, opened our eyes to see what the gospel really was, that, that opened our eyes that we might trust Christ and, and know that he's the truth, the way, and the life. He not only, out of his pleasure, made it known to us, but he made that knowledge effective. It changed my life. It not just opened my eyes, but it led me to repentance and faith. And now I still walk in that faith. Why is that? Because God in his infinite wisdom, for his purpose, beyond what I'll ever understand, he decreed eternal redemption. And, as, and in his decree for that, it was an act of his decree that I was even saved, that you were even saved. Because in that decree, the situation you're in, he revealed to you. He made you know the way, the truth, the life. And in that knowledge, it was effective and it changed your life. You became born again. I was talking to Jim and Gail today. We were talking about new birth and regeneration and election. I said, when you think about it, I said, I'm not trying to get nasty or anything. I said, but March 2nd, 1962... I was born in that little pink hospital at 61st and Yale when it was a, a small little hospital. I said, but you know what? I said, nine months before that, I didn't knock on my mom and dad's door and say, hey, could you procreate so I could get conceived? I had nothing to do with my conception other than I responded to the very life that God allowed to be in that womb. That's all I did was respond to the life that was given to me. Same thing at salvation. There was a friend that was involved. There were old ladies praying. I'm sure that preacher was praying. That preacher knew I was a guest that morning. There was a lot of people at Central Baptist that knew Steve Holstein's coming. He needs to get saved. And all of them had a part of that. But ultimately, the only reason I was born again and standing in that pew is because God did something that he decided before the foundation of the world. He was going to open my eyes and, and give me the knowledge I needed to know. And that knowledge had an effect on me. I repented and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, thank God I can look back and say, hey, I went to church as a kid. I was told all these things. Thank God I have that background. My wife did not. My wife grew up a Unitarian Universalist. Sunday school was either zodiac signs, sex education through basically pornography films, or you learned about Zen Buddhism or whatever because their mission was you will find your way. And they're true to their mission. 
so that when she got saved at Campus Crusade through Christ at Kansas State and her eyes were open, she found out that that little manger that she saw every Christmas at their church, and her mom says, well, some people believe he's the son of God. She knew at that moment, he's the son of God. She got saved. And she went home that weekend and told her mom and dad all about Jesus and what happened in her life. And they were true to their mission. Well, I'm glad you found your way. Blind. They were just blinded. They're still blinded. But they thought it was a good thing because they thought, well, we've done our job. I guess they had in their sense. But God did his job. God had decreed at that moment through all that she had learned, unlearned, experienced, sitting there in a dorm at Kansas State University, and somebody just said, hey, we got a class on dating. Would you like to come on Tuesday night? Sure. So she went to that. They talked about, you know, being careful about dating and all that kind of stuff, being safe in 1982. And then after that class, I said, by the way, we have a Bible study next Tuesday. If you'd like to come back. And she thought, well, I guess I will. I don't party. So she went to the school library at Kansas State, never owned one, and she bought herself a Bible. So she could go to Bible study on Tuesday night. And they shared the four spiritual laws. And in God's decree, in God's time, he made known to her what she needed to know in his decree. And in his decree, it, that knowledge brought about an effect. She was born again. So when we think about the decrees of God and how he, he in his providence, works through creation works through his providence for his eternal purpose, by his eternal counsel to carry out his eternal glory. Our eternal redemption, I don't care if you were 5, 95, or 25 when you got saved, your eternal redemption was an act of God's decree. We don't fully understand it, but once you begin to think about it, he, he was working, Right? He was working three months, eight months before I got saved. People plant, more people planting seeds, that girl praying for me. She prayed that I would get saved right there on that porch. I'm thinking, I'm kind of offended. I told you I got baptized. Yes, sir. I was sad that the family didn't care. But this is how, I, but I went to the family. I said, look, I'm going to be using the Bible at their funeral. Now, if they would have said, no, you're not, I would have said, well, I can't do your funeral. Okay? And this is how I would preach a funeral for someone that I don't know if they're saved or not. I would share the gospel in such a way that I would say this, knowing, let's just say it was you, and I didn't know if you were saved, and your family said, well, you do the funeral. I would say, at that funeral, I would say, Knowing that Sonny is standing before the Lord like we all will, this is what Sonny would want me to say. Because that way, if Sonny's saved, he wants me to share the gospel. And if Sonny's lost, he wants me to share the gospel. I know that because like it's in Luke 16 when the, when the, when the, uh, the, the rich man was wanting to go back and tell him about Jesus. So I know that if you were standing before God without Christ, you would want me to tell him about Jesus. And so I don't push anything on him, but at the same time, uh, if they're going to dictate what I have to say, well, then I can't do their funeral in clear conscience. So that's how I handle a funeral of someone that I'm not sure where they're at. Because I, I know the Bible says it's appointed once for every man to die and then the judgment. 
So in, so in uh, Hebrews 9.27, it says that. So knowing that, they're either going to stand before God judged in Jesus or judged by God outside of Jesus, right? So, no, so knowing that's true, this is what they would want me to say. And I share the gospel. Uh-huh. Right, and if they didn't know God, they they didn't go to heaven. Uh, well, I mean, you can pray for them all you want to, but they they're either standing before God in Jesus or out of Jesus. But you can pray for the family. Yeah. Now, now I will say this. Let's say I know someone's not in heaven. I'm not going to stand there as a pastor funeral and say, and I know Sonny's in hell. I mean, I'm not going to do that. I guess unless the Lord led me to. I'm just going to say, knowing where Sonny's standing right now, this is what he would want me to say because I know that's true from the Bible. You know, even if I knew you were lost as a goose in a hailstorm and the flames of hell right now, I know you would want me to tell him about Jesus. So that's, that's what I do. That way it doesn't come across rude, but at the same time I don't violate my conscience based off what I know is true. Okay? And so uh, my wife's father died of a massive heart attack. He's a Unitarian Universalist. I'm okay, you're okay. The man knew his Bible. When he would hear me preach, he said he liked my sermons. And I'm thinking, why don't you get saved? <laughs> he liked my sermons because he liked the way I transliterated them. But he wasn't saved. So when he died, unless he made some dead bed conversion there at that middle of that heart attack, we know where he's at. And when I got that phone call and told my wife, I continued the conversation because my wife went to her room with the door shut, three rooms down, and I never heard a guttural cry like anything like that before. And so it broke her heart. But she found a letter about two weeks ago that her dad wrote to her because she shared Jesus. And he said, well, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus wouldn't send people to hell. My Jesus, my Jesus. I said, Karen? She goes, it's sad. I said, no, it's good. I said, that means you told him exactly what he needed to hear. You have a clear conscience. You can cry. But you have a clear conscience. You told your daddy we needed to know. So when we think of the decrees of God, the election of God, yes, it can be a sad thing, you know, especially based on what we know about that individual. But concerning us who are saved, the decrees of God, the decree of God at salvation engaged our sinful lives, and according to his pleasure, he revealed his saving mercy, and by his purpose, it became effective unto our redemption. God decreed you into the kingdom of God. Secondly, turn to Matthew chapter 6. It's a familiar passage. In Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 25 to 34. And I'll try to go through that real quick because I know we still have to uh, do some prayer time. But not only does our eternal redemption uh, is an act of God's decree. Our daily existence is an act of God's decree. Our daily existence, that is, what we're provided for. In verse 25 through 27, God, is decreed, God in his decreed provision grants opportunity and resources to live according to his pleasure. Look at verse 25 to 27. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. 
Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you by worry can add one cubit to his stature? He's saying in Matthew 6, verse 25 through 27, that the fact that God decrees, just like God provides for the birds of the air, and they don't gather, they don't reap, they don't, they don't harvest, they don't plant things, or they don't go out hunting, and they don't go to Walmart, they don't go to Target, they don't go to Reesers, they don't go buying groceries. God just provides. God will provide for us the same way through his decreed provision. He says, my, my, my righteous will not be begging for bread. Now, sometimes you and I may be in a place where we kind of go, well, it's pretty thin dickens here. It's not very much here and there. But you know what? You'll, you'll always have what you need. You always have what you need. And he says that his decreed provision always grants opportunity and resources to live, to live according to his pleasure. In other words, I may think living requires this, and God says, no, according to my decree, living requires this, according to my pleasure. I told somebody one time, um, God doesn't always give you what you want, and thank God he doesn't. He gives you exactly what you need. And that's what he's saying here. In his decrees, in his providential decree of working in your life, he provides opportunities and resources to live according to his pleasure, according to his purpose, his will. And he decrees those things. Look at verse 28 through 30. God, God in his decree provision grants opportunity and resources to enjoy, to enjoy according to his pleasure. Verse 28 through 30. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He's not saying that Steve, stands to, Steve needs to stand here until clothes just grow on me. He's just saying the lily is clothed. I've provided a, a beautiful clothing for the lily based off the lily's needs. You know, I'm going to do the same thing for you. He's going to provide by his decree, his provisional decree, opportunities and resources to enjoy what he's pleasured for you. And then last but not least, verse 31 to 34, God in his decreed provision grants opportunity and resources to trust, to trust him according to his pleasure. Verse 31 through 34. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because the birds are provided what they need, the lilies are provided for what they need, just like you'll be provided for what you need. Maybe not like the birds, not just like the lilies, but you'll be provided what you need just like they are, and you're more valuable than them. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For all these things that Gentiles seek, in other words, that's what the non-believer is, that's all they're seeking, is what they want, what they need. That's, all, that's their whole life. And he says, for your heavenly Father knows. Steve, your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. So don't worry about it. Just know it's going to be provided based off his pleasure, based off his purpose. It's going to be provided just like it is for the birds and the lilies. He said, but instead, what you need to focus on, Steve, is but seek the kingdom of God first 
and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, there's nothing wrong with planning for tomorrow. I have, I have plans right here in my notes what I want to do Thursday and Friday based off what I've scheduled. But you know what? I also know the Lord willing creek don't rise. It may not happen or it may not happen the way I want it to pan out. I've got to make plans. So he's not saying don't make plans. He just says don't worry about Friday. Don't worry about Thursday. Make a plan and trust me to provide you every need. And he says in my decrees, I not only provide your eternal salvation, and if I can take care of that, guess what? I can take care of your daily existence because that's nothing compared to eternal redemption, right? I mean, so the decrees, the decree of God engages, once again, our simple lives, and according to his provision, he grants us mercy enough in that provision to trust him. So when we think about the decrees of God, like I said, we're just hitting the surface, but we talked about two different things that, that in God's decrees he provides. He provides eternal redemption, and daily existence. And he takes care of both. It was a struggle for me to get to that place to where finally God put me to where I could trust him for my eternal redemption. But it's also a struggle every day to continue to trust God and not worry about what he's going to do about our daily existence. And so when we think of God and his decrees, that's why I gave these two examples because these are the most practical examples. We want people to be redeemed, right? And we've got to trust the decrees of God to work through our actions and his providence to carry out salvation for somebody. But listen, lots of times it's you and I who, already are, who are already redeemed, who are trusting him for those daily existence things and sometimes struggling and, and then continuing to trust him. It's in those times that somebody's watching you, they're watching me, they're watching somebody that we know that knows the Lord, and it is in watching that individual that say they know the Lord, trusting God for their daily existence, that maybe perhaps them may be standing on the north side of a Central Baptist. They kind of go, wow, how do you do that, Ken? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Steve. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. Well, Ken, how do you how do you enroll? Oh, well, this is how we do it. You know, the Lord provides for us, but Steve, He not only just provides for our daily needs. I know you're struggling, you and your wife, right now, Steve. But listen, God goes beyond our daily needs, Steve. Oh, really, Ken? Because I got some respect for Ken now, because I've been watching him, right? He says, "Yeah, He provides for our eternal redemption. It is in that trusting Him for our daily existence." That, that God can use us for people to approach us and say, how do you do it? Because listen, I listen to enough talk radio to be dangerous. And if you listen to talk radio with me, you, you would think what I think sometimes. Oh my gosh, I need to get a 55-gallon drum of food, hide in a cave, because the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Or, you know, lock and load, all that mentality. That's what Satan wants us to do. That's what the world system is geared to do. 
But you and I, it doesn't mean we don't prepare. It doesn't mean we're not ready for whatever, you know, food shortage, whatever. The point is, is we trust God. And we're walking according to a different beat, a different drum beat. I had a friend ask me the other day, knowing my wife lost her job, knowing that she had the benefits, she had the retirement, she's got enough unemployment left to kind of last the cobra for a little while. They said, how you doing? I said, how you doing? I said, I don't know, just one day at a time. I said, but God's given me a church that's really providing for me and my family. I, I didn't think that was ever going to happen. I said, God's good. God, God is doing some good things. But I said, he's going to work it out. And I don't know exactly how it's going to work out, but I do know this. I'm going to find food. I'm going to find clothing. I'm going to find housing. Because if he does it for a little bird that doesn't even have a spirit, just body and mind, how much more will he not do it for me, body, mind, and spirit, and one of his children? And knowing that he's the perfect father, and that if he worked out through his decree to save my wretched soul, how much more can he just make sure there's some food on the table, there's clothes on the body, and there's a house over my head? I, it, 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 may be, it may be food from Salvation Army. It may be the roof of Salvation Army. It may be John 3, 16. I don't know. I'm not saying it's going to be. I let God define that. And that's the point. I let God define what he says I need. And when I, once I finally surrender to that, then he can actually do some things that when he does it, we do give him glory. We are grateful. But if I think I've done something outside of what he's led me to do, and I've done something, well, guess what? Who loses the glory all of a sudden? And then I lose an opportunity to maybe give a witness to somebody that needs that eternal redemption. So I just want to encourage you tonight as we get ready to to pray, I'm not sure who I hand the prayer list to. to uh, you point to her? Okay. And uh, you need a pen? Okay. And uh, so be thinking about God decreeing redemption and God re uh, decreeing daily existence. And you know people on, our, on your mind that need eternal redemption, or at least you have a pretty good idea they do. Feel free to say their first name and we'll put them on the list. You may know somebody that just needs daily provision. Uh, put them on the list. It may be something that we think is pretty trivial, but if you think that's what their need is, water's in their boat right now, okay? And so I think lots of times we forget that God is in the business of eternal things and daily things.